On this episode of Life at the Ballpark, you'll hear the story of a man who was on the field for one of the most famous moments in baseball history. But what he said very directly is he says, I guarantee you, I guarantee you if Dennis Eckersley's in the game and he's got a 3-2 count on a left-handed batter, he's going to try to throw a backdoor slider. I guarantee you. Well, Gibson remembered that. It was a 3-2 pitch. It was a backdoor slider. He looked for it, probably the only pitch he could have gotten enough bat speed on to, to barrel it up to hit it out. And so there was a, it was a combination of Tommy being gutsy enough to put him up there, a scout giving him info, and then Gibby just rising to the occasion. And then it was just crazy. I mean, crazy. Welcome to the podcast, Life at the Ballpark sharing stories from players, coaches, scouts, and broadcasters about their lives in baseball, from the sandlots to the big league ballparks. This podcast is coming to you from spring training at Roger Dean Chevrolet Stadium in Jupiter, Florida. Spring training home for the St. Louis Cardinals and the Miami Marlins. Hi, I'm John Frost, and today my guest is none other than Cardinals broadcaster Ricky Horton. Yeah, good to be with you, John, and you talk about having stories from baseball people. That's about all we do, isn't it? I mean, the game is uh, the game really lends itself to having stories about being in cool places and having, uh, having nice moments that you just don't forget. And your perspective is unique in that you played uh, many years successfully in the big leagues, and now you're a big league broadcaster. So the first thing I want to ask you about, since we're at spring training, what was your perspective of spring training as a player and then coming into it as a broadcaster? How do you prepare differently for spring training? Well, spring training as a player to me, when I first came to spring training, it was opportunity. I mean, for young players, I still stay in touch with the fact that young players have opportunities to show something and show they belong. And so I had this real sense of, man, this is a big deal that I get to go to spring training. And then once you've kind of been around the game a bit, you come to spring training, you realize, okay, I want to get myself uh, ready to play. But I also understand there's somebody there's somebody that throws harder than me in AAA, and there's somebody knocking at the door. So I always felt that I had to earn a job every spring training and yeah I think uh, I think that's not a bad way to approach it and as a broadcaster the, you made the transition from player to broadcaster you've been you've been a broadcaster now for quite a while doing both radio and TV what was that like for you how did you how did you adapt from being a player on the field to being in the press box? Well, I, it's really, a, it was kind of a, an interesting transition, and there's actually a step in between. I was a coach in the minor leagues for a while, so spring training as a coach, that's the worst because you're worrying about 200 people, and you've got to tell guys, you know, by the way, your dream of being a professional player is over. You've got to release players. I mean, it's a, it's a much more pressure-packed as a coach, I would say, than than, than even as a player and then you get to the broadcasting thing and pressure's not really there really the pressure is to, to analyze and, and see things that might look uh, unique and try to bring them uh, bring that uh, story back home to uh, fans that want to know that baseball's right around the corner there's something about spring training as a broadcaster I think I've gotten more in touch with the with maybe the philosophical reality and the pure love of baseball, but longer I've been in broadcasting, that spring training means hope. It means renewal. It means we get to follow our guys again for six months. Baseball is a unique sport in that way, and uh, I think I've gotten more in touch with that. And really, the, the the kind of the craft has just been trial and error. You know, I've had some great partners, really great partners. I worked with Jay Randolph and Bob Carpenter and Wayne Hagen and Jack Buck and Joe Buck and Dan McLaughlin. And I mean, I'm not done yet. I don't. John Rooney, Mike Shannon. I mean, there's so many great broadcasters that have taught me things along the way. I'm very thankful for that. Um, I know you had several. You were a part of history. 
a couple of a couple of times, and I want to ask that question. But first, I want to ask you this question: I'm intrigued with stories of life-changing moments, right? Where something happens to you, and you know your life is never going to be the same again. One of the ones that I like from last year, which you'll remember, is in Memphis when Dakota Hudson was on the mound. Stubby Clap walked out to the mound. To take him out of the game, but he also gave him a baseball. You remember what the baseball said? Uh, I don't know exactly what it said, but I know it said he was going to the big leagues, and it was such a unique way to tell somebody. And you know, I, you know, I found out that unique moment my last day of spring training after Whitey Herzog told me I was pitching the last day. If I pitched well, I made the team, and if I didn't, I wouldn't. So, so I let me just say I was ready for that day, and and I was, and you know, it could have worked out differently, but fortunately, I, I pitched well, made the team, and uh, you know, players never forget that. And you know, one of the other things, John, about that is not only does Dakota Hudson have that moment, but his high school coach does, his next door neighbor, uh, his the guy that sat next to him in algebra class in seventh grade. There's a tie, there's a community tie to a player having that moment that is that that is just goes beyond what I think most fans can see because it really is a, it's a family thing. It's the mom and dad that sacrificed for him to get to that point. I mean, there's so many things that go into that. Uh, so I, I love those moments when a guy gets that call to the big leagues. It's one of my favorite shots in a telecast, by the way, is when a when a player is making his big big league debut and they show his parents in the stands. Yeah, oh, it's great. I, I remember as a minor league player when guys got called up. Kevin Hagan was a good friend of mine, and he had a short stint with the Cardinals, and and I watched him. I mean, I, I still remember sitting in the clubhouse watching the game on TV while our team was playing uh, the Triple A team, but he was pitching against the Atlanta Braves in the big leagues, and and it was this is this is my guy, and he's in the big leagues, and it was a shared moment. Uh, you know, I know the first pitch he threw was a fastball down the way. I still picture that. I mean, that was a lot of years ago. I mean, 1983 is when it was. So uh, you can do the math. But but the fact that I remember that pitch that somebody else threw just shows how how special this moment is. Only 1,992 people have gotten to be a St. Louis Cardinal in the big leagues, wow. and that's a you know fairly small community. <laughs> Not that I stand around and count them. Somebody yeah. told me the other day. Somebody else did the math, but but I remember the number uh, because it, it it's special to me that that they're so few that have had a chance to do that we'll be back to life at the ballpark right after this you're listening to this podcast because you have an interest in baseball if you own a business what do you think people who call you have an interest in yeah your business so you need a message on hold now tell your callers about your products and services locations and hours special offers and more with a message on hold now We've been providing telephone on-hold messages since 1992, and we can do one for you. Get your custom message on hold now at messageonholdnow.com. Messageonholdnow.com. Today, my guest is Cardinals broadcaster Ricky Horton. I want to ask you about a few things that happened in your career. And, And frankly, I was doing the research for this interview, and I ran across one, and I was surprised I did not remember that you were on the 88 Dodgers. And because, uh, you know, I was a Cardinal fan. I, I remember you more from the, your Cardinal days. But that also means that you were there. You were in Dodger Stadium 
the night that Kirk Gibson faced Dennis Eckersley. Tell me your tell me your memories of that. Well, it was a wonderful uh, night. Obviously, one of the great uh, nights in baseball history. Really, one of the great moments when Gibby hit the home run uh, in the ninth inning. His only at bat in the World Series off of Dennis Eckersley. And two things about it. One is, uh, you know, I can again tell you where I was when it happened. I can tell you what I was, who I was sitting next to, all of that. But leading up to that, I went into the Dodger clubhouse, and Bob Costas tells this story also. I went into the Dodger clubhouse. Kirk Gibson, middle of the game, sitting on a training table with ice on every every bone in his body. I mean, he just you, there's no way this guy can play. He could barely walk. And so I, we remember thinking in the bullpen that when he came to the plate, we thought Tommy Lasorda had lost his mind. It's like there's, there's no way Gibby should be up there. He could do anything about this. But the other part of the story that's very interesting is, is the day before we had a scout come in. Uh, again, this is, uh, this is out there. People know about this. Um, and he addressed the team about how to hit this guy and what to look for and this, how to pitch to this, uh, to this guy and to this Oakland A. And it's, but what he said very directly is he says, I guarantee you, I guarantee you if Dennis Eckersley's in the game and he's got a 3-2 count on a left-handed batter, he's going to try to throw a backdoor slider. I guarantee you. Well, Sacks waiting on deck, but the game right now is at the plate. Gibson remembered that. It was a 3-2 pitch. It was a backdoor slider. He looked for it. Probably the only pitch he could have gotten enough bat speed on to, to barrel it up to hit it out. And so there was a, it was a combination of Tommy being gutsy enough to put him up there, a scout giving him info, and then Gibby just rising to the occasion. And then it was just crazy. I mean crazy. And, you know, within the next couple of weeks, I'm, I'm going down uh, the main street in L.A. at the ticker tape parade sitting next to Oral Hershiser and Dave Anderson. And a few days after that, I'm headed to the White House to meet President Reagan. So uh, pretty nice month. That, that, that really is one of the greatest moments in baseball history, isn't it? It really is. I mean, there's several. You know, Bobby Thompson hit a home run to win a World Series, and you, you know, you think about the several uh, strikeouts. Uh, in you know, in the in the uh, was that uh, Carl Hubble struck out all the big flies in in the in the All Star game, including Ruth and Gehrig and 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 Jimmy Fox, and you know, that was awesome. And there's several moments like that, and certainly more contemporary moments as well. But but you know, you, you look at the emotion of that moment, a guy limping around the bases after winning a World Series game I mean it's just pretty extraordinary an amazing moment the, the other neat thing about that that you, you may not even know this story uh, there is in the video you, you remember how uh, fans from D Dodger fans would leave the game early they were notorious for going early well as he hits it over the right field fence you can see a string of cars that are leaving the ballpark and when the ball went over the the fence you see the brake lights go on on a string of cars. I absolutely know about that because when I got to the ballpark the next day, Kirk Gibson was looking at that video, uh, and it was actually a video that was it was an internal video. It was the hitters. It was a, uh, our hitting coach would use video from the side angle, so you could see Gibby from the side. So this wasn't on the air, but you could see him from the side. And of course, it's gotten a lot of play since then. But Gibby was going over and over and over and over, and he was just having such a blast with it. Every new player that came into the clubhouse, come here, come here, look at this. So, so he, and, and that was kind of quintessential Dodger moment to have all these fans that missed uh, Gibson's home run. But uh, you know, the, and the Dodger, the Dodger 
people. The Dodger organization was very good to me. You know, I think about uh, getting a chance to be both a Cardinal and a Dodger. You know, that's that's two of the two best, best two of the best organizations you can be with. Two of the best. You were also uh, with the Cardinals at '85 when they played the Royals. You were also with the Cardinals in '87 when you played the Twins. So I have a couple of rings that we affectionately call losers' rings, but <laughs> and and we and we say that you know not not disrespecting it because you know at the time and I think it's still true. You win a pennant. That's a big deal. You're a pennant winner. You know, we have that on our dugouts at Bush Stadium. We have the flags up that, that represent when the team wins the wins the National League. Big deal. So we won the National League in 85 and 87. Uh, those guys are lifelong friends of mine that I still stay in contact with. Many still live in St. Louis. They've just kind of stayed part of the – uh, the, the Cardinal family, but you know, losing that game uh, six and that, that turned into the debacle of Game Seven uh, was it was kind of a uh, kind of a, a heartbreaker. And you know, it's interesting. I asked Todd Worrell about this at an event um, several uh, months ago, and I asked him, uh, you know, does this does this bother you less that moment in Kansas City? And he said, No, actually, it bothers me more. The, the older I get, the more I realize just how big an opportunity that was that we didn't get to have together, which I think sums up a lot of the feelings that, that players have. Obviously, the what, what's referred to as the Don Dinkinger play yes. is, is an unhappy memory for the Cardinals, but you have an interesting perspective on where you are and what you were doing. Yeah, the Don Dinkinger play, which you know Todd was intimately involved with because he was the guy covering first base and the and order was called uh, safe and he was out. And, and, and Don Dinkinger, by the way, uh, several years later at our 25th uh, anniversary of the Cardinals winning the pennant in 85 Whitey Herzog invited Denkinger to address us and at the end and, and you know I was actually on the road I couldn't go my wife was there but you know it was the whole kind of players from that era and uh, Denkinger spoke and and everybody loved him very well received and Whitey said I want you to know I appreciate you coming to this event uh, so I'm going to pre- and they presented him with a watch and so he presents him with a watch and Denkinger feels very very uh, you know happy about that and Whitey gets back on the microphone he said by the way the watch is a braille watch because because we know you have trouble seeing and it really was it was a, it gave him a braille watch so so the, the the comedy of that is what baseball players love but but actually that moment in game six I was in the bullpen in left field in Kansas City and, and I had spent the night in the emergency room because my my I had a blood vessel burst in my eardrum on the flight. I had a bad bad head cold and and I just I mean it just was bad news and it was a lot of pain and so I was taking something to alleviate the pain that was actually putting me to sleep in the bullpen. So I was almost nodding off. So the emotions of that moment as I mean as awful as they were for the team, my emotions were kind of like well, I don't know what this thing is they're giving me, but I feel pretty good. And so it kind of took a while for me to actually feel um, the, the magnitude of that game six. It was probably weeks later. One question and then I'll let you go. I know you got work to do. Um, I'm the announcer in January for the fantasy camp. Yes. And you're down here every January. You spend a week down here. Give a little plug for the fantasy camp. And I know you're the commissioner of that. And that's that's really turned into an amazing event and lifelong friends out of that, right? It's so much fun. We had 32 former Cardinals come, including three Hall of Famers and 140 campers that, you know, they invest a lot of money to come down here to have a, a, just a la-la baseball experience. I mean, it is, it is really incredible. Uh, I am the commissioner, which is a position of no power, but sounds good. But all I do essentially do is MC the whole camp. And 
and make sure everybody's having a good time and doing doing what they're supposed to do and where they're supposed to be. But it's it's a it's an extraordinary event where I think uh, the people that come get connected. They, they're a cardinal. We tell them, you're a cardinal. You're a cardinal uh, for this week. And, and so we, we draft them and we have games and we play on Roger Dean Stadium and the winning team gets rings and they get champagne. And I mean, we do everything we can to make this a real cardinal experience. And and, and John, what I say about that camp, and we held a, we hold it every uh, every late January, and this year was an extra day. We had five days. You can find out info at cardinals.com about the camp. But it is good for my soul. That's my summary of it. It's just good for my soul. I laugh. I get connected again with teammates. And, and I actually get connected with guys I didn't play with. I mean, I have, have, I have deeper friendships with, with Ryan Ludwig and Rick Ankiel and, 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 and Ryan Franklin are quite a bit younger than me. But once we're kind of all together, you know, Bo Hart was there and Aaron Miles and, you know, Reggie Sanders and Brian Jordan and, you know, Danny Cox. I mean, it's a, it, it spans years of Cardinal uh, Cardinal players, and it is just such a great, uh, great few days. And uh, my wife always uh, looks at the calendar and says, "You're you're, you're going to be really happy when you get a chance to go down there to Florida and enjoy that fantasy camp." So again, good for my soul. But a pleasure to talk to Ricky Horton, Cardinal legend and an excellent broadcaster too, my friend. I'm John Frost, and this is Life at the Ballpark. <laughs>